Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Truck. Welcome to Transportation Matters. My name is Martin Daum. I'm the CEO of Daimler Truck, and I hope all of you are well and healthy. Thank you all so much for being with us again. In today's episode, we will talk about the road to net zero. We will discuss how we can make the zero emission transport of the future a reality. And in doing so, we will not primarily talk about the zero emission trucks and buses we are rolling out at Daimler Truck. Instead, we will focus on another success factor of zero emission transport we and our customers are highly interested in, and that is infrastructure. Green transport needs a comprehensive green energy infrastructure. Building that infrastructure is a massive undertaking and a real challenge. Today, we want to take a closer look at this critical endeavor. And to do so, I have the perfect guest with me today, Anna Mascolo. Anna is Executive Vice President at Shell, responsible for emerging energy solutions. Part of her job is to drive Shell's hydrogen business. Anna started her career in the energy sector more than 20 years ago and joined Shell in 2004, so she knows this business inside out. Anna, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Martin, for inviting me and really looking forward to the session. When I read to prepare for that podcast, I read through your resume and I was amazed you studied theoretical and mathematical physics. Uh, this is very impressive. What fascinates you about physics and mathematics from the beginning and then how did you end up with Shell ultimately? Well, I do now what I wanted to do when I was uh, maybe a young student. And it was about bringing difficult problems to solutions. And it was about tackling difficult stuff. I think what I've learned through my studies is actually that you have the ability to bring complex problems into very simple and beautiful solutions or equations from a mathematical perspective. So they bring in that simplicity to some of the most complex problems. And the role I do now has got plenty of those complex problems. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to the simplistic solutions. But before to that, I was just uh, a couple of days thinking about my own role six, seven years ago, going back in time, 2015 and 16. If you would have asked me what the core problem of my job is today, I would have come up with everything, but not that massive transformation we are in. Do you have a similar feeling when you go back to Shell 2015, 16? What I do see is that energy transition is going at an incredible fast pace. It's always almost surprising to see how fast it goes versus your expectation. And then when you think that there is going to be a setback along the way, like COVID, actually COVID has become a catalyzer for doing even more because we want to make sure that the same way as we have responded to COVID, if we do it the same for other challenges like energy transition, I think then we can show success. And also COVID has showed us what it looks like when you do less emissions, uh, perhaps when you travel or fly less. And people had a bit of more reflection time. They're wanting to go back to a greener restart of the economy. And you would say, what changed between, let's say, 2015 and today, in your opinion? What was that catalytic moment that changed corporate strategies? Or what would you say is different? 
energy transition has been with us for some time and we shall, you know, we've been on this journey for many years, including, you know, where we are now. And I, I'm happy to go there into in a moment. So it's been with us for many years. I think the society understanding and demands have changed. I think people want to see the transition happen. They want to see it faster. And also just realizing that if you want to be in line with the Paris Agreement, we are just behind the curve where we need to go faster. Hydrogen is a classical one. Ten, five years ago, everybody would have thought hydrogen was a crazy idea. And actually now we have hydrogen being part of infrastructure. And the challenges have moved from the technical pieces of can you make hydrogen work? Can you keep your supply chain safe? To how do I scale it? How do I make this an impactful change? Mm -hmm. And you are right. I would say nobody of the listeners, even me included, can picture what a 200 megawatt electrolyzer means like. Uh, what do I have to think about? Is this one giant bottle where I put water in and it comes hydrogen out? Or how do I have to picture that? Yeah, so let me, before we move into the electrolyzer, let me go one step back and I'm going to go to the electrolyzer and then explain how that is in the context of the rest that we are doing. I think the reality is that you need to start fundamentally changing your business models, ways of working. And for a company like Shell, it's transforming our supply chains, our technology know-how. And when we look at emissions, uh, we look at emission more broadly. So not only the emissions that we have for ourselves when consumed by our own operations, which by the way, we are well on track to reduce 50% by 2030. But also we look at the emissions of our customers. And that's where it becomes trickier because as much as I could, for example, push hydrogen to our customers, I need to have the infrastructure for the hydrogen to be brought from, I don't know, the Holland Hydrogen One facility to the customers. The customer need to have a way of picking it up and having demand from their customers. So, so I think it's actually also changing demand patterns as well as the supply side. And what we're also finding is that every sector needs a slightly different flavor of solutions and along different timescales. And that's actually quite important. So bringing different solutions to the table from renewable power to bio-LNG and nature-based solutions, carbon capture and storage, biofuels, or hydrogen. So when we look at hydrogen, is in the context of that broader transformation as a company. And then you're looking at the steps we have done with the Holland Hydrogen One, which everybody feels very proud of. Uh, I must say, there's never been a more proudest day as when we did went out with the announcement, because then you're feeling part of something bigger. Now, the electrolyzer capacity is 200 megawatt. The total global capacity is 300. I also want to say that what the world we need is actually in the order of the hundreds of gigawatt. Mm -hmm. Only Europe is looking at 20, 30, 100 gigawatt of hydrogen and another 100 imported. And so, Anna, so may, I I may I interrupt you? Because that's even important for me. I want to translate it into the trucking language, and that is in kilogram and tons. How many hydrogen does a 200 megawatt electrolyzer can produce per day, per year? So, so Martin, the, the answer is, is uh, 60,000 kilograms per day. So 60,000 kilograms and a truck needs about 10 tons a year. So this is electrolyzer you can power 60,000, that's 60 tons. Yeah, you are fully right. We need so much more capacity. Yeah, so we are just the beginning. But thanks for that courageous first investment. All right. So it's, you can argue that 200 megawatt, it's, it depends on how you want to look at the information. 
on one side is a breakthrough, but on the other side, you can say it's a drop in the ocean because we need so much more. And as we announced the Holland Hydrogen One final investment decision at the event, actually, you know, one of the messages we gave was that we hope that investments like this, that have investments with bold actions, actually inspire other people to take actions too. And I really appreciate that because we have the similar problem. I call always the hydrogen gamble is a chicken egg problem. You would certainly, if we were to thousands of trucks on the road, it would be no problem at all for you to even install bigger electrolyzer capacities. On the other side, if you would have more electrolyzers and more hydrogen in the offerings, we would be able to sell more fuel cell trucks. But however, both things needs to be aligned. You need the years for planning and we need the years for developing and planning and our customers need the certainty. So in this case, we really need to align and therefore I highly appreciate your willingness to invest early. I know this is a risk, but we have to do that because otherwise we run out of time. You mentioned the supply and demand chicken and egg problem that every heart to a bit sector has. Who is going to go first? Who drives it? How can you bring costs down? And what if you don't do anything? What are the implications on carbon emissions? For commercial road transport, actually, if you don't do anything, you know, by 2050, I think emissions triple from the levels where they are now. There is a call for action between companies like us, but also bringing the whole, I would call it, ecosystem. So bringing the, the hauliers, the transport providers, bringing potentially different type of technology, the electrolyzer manufacturers, bringing governments to the table. In the case of Holland Hydrogen One, at the opening, we had ThyssenKrupp, who's going to help us with electrolyzer. But then we had also Hasuni. They are building the pipeline. There is not a pipeline for hydrogen currently that connects between our facilities and, for example, our energy and chemical parks. We will have to have a loading truck for commercial road transport to pick up the hydrogen and then bring it to the hydrogen refueling stations. So I think there is quite a lot of work that needs to be done to build, I call it the energy systems of the future. And it's the same way, in a way, it's not very different from what we did 100 years ago and plus with oil and gas, and, and now it's fully cost efficient. We have got to start and build the infrastructure again. If I'm thinking about the journey that EV has gone through to make it, um, I guess, range bound, achievable, so that customers accept the shift, I think that that would be important also in this case. How is your company dealing with the uncertainty about it? I see it extremely difficult to prognose exactly at what point of time what demand will be out there in the market for our products. And if I can't tell the demand for our products, I can't give you the demand uh, for the fuel for you. How is your company dealing with this uncertainty? I think it's a little bit iterative. I think there is an element ahead of the regulatory environment, kind of almost mandating targets and zero emissions, also for commercial road transport. Ahead of that, you, you rely on voluntary demand. And normally, because at the beginning, you are also facing challenges around scale on the supply side, I think what you need is these initial signals from both supply and demand, where you would have higher cost to produce the hydrogen. So there is a, a cost in the shift to a more sustainable use of products. But then you're also hoping that over time, as volumes pick up, as technology develops, as you're starting to move from megawatt to gigawatt in this case, 
your cost structure starts to go down. You are benefit from a network of hydrogen refueling stations. So you're starting to benefit from scale. Um, how long is it going to take? I think that's the, always the key question. <laughs> I would say that's part of the partnership Daimler and Shell, for example, formed that we want a certain route. Yeah, We promise trucks on that route. You will give the infrastructure for that one route, which is not essential for the entire Europe, but which is a good tiptoeing into the business. And then we build up the experiences from there. What makes trucking so difficult is I see on the passenger car side, when it comes to battery electric vehicles, a more gradual linear increase year over year. On the trucking side, where total cost of ownership plays such an important role, if it's not feasible to run a hydrogen-powered or a battery-powered truck, then people will stick with diesel and only a few go to zero-emission trucks. But if it's feasible because of a taxation or because of CO2 pricing, then everyone would come. So between zero and everyone, there will be, I would say, ultimately only a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that will be a landslide. How do you prepare for that? So, so I think one of the things we do and is actually try to bring the regulatory environment into the picture because that starts to provide in signals. Sometimes it, it doesn't even matter how far the regulatory environment goes, is that it starts to signal direction of travel. For example, clear carbon pricing mechanism, uh, low carbon fuel standards, or if there are time bound targets, or in some cases incentives so that you can switch at a lower cost. Now, for example, when I look at the Holland Hydrogen One, not every piece of regulations for us was uh, and is at the moment clear. So regulation, the regulatory environment is a bit trickier, but then we still decided to go ahead and make the shift because on the basis that we do see demand longer term being there and, and needing to move to net zero for our companies and for society. Yeah, and I would say this is for me part of the learning curve. And therefore, it's great that all the specialists are coming to the party or to the solution of the problem. Sometimes people ask me, why are you working together with companies like Shell or other oil companies? Yeah. And I said, because they understand the problem the most. You know, <laughs> they know between energy creation and energy distribution, they already solved the problems in the oil world. I would say nobody yeah. is better equipped to solve it in the new world than you. And sometimes they say they know how to handle a 10 billion project because that, you do that. That, that is also true. I think there is an element of moving into that large scale projects. I think that's something that we would have plenty of expertise. And we see that our companies and our people actually are transforming in terms of skill sets. So if I look at some of the products I handle, I handle carbon capture and storage. Now, the technical capability around carbon captures are not very far from what we call the engineering subsurface for the upstream oil products. So you actually can transfer capabilities into the new world, and that's what the company is doing. And I think just anecdotally, by 2025, half of our spendings will be on low carbon as a company, and 2025 is not very far. <laughs> I mean, that's a good segue to the next question, because for me, time horizon is important. Uh, if people ask me, I have a pretty good feeling what the trucks are that will hit the road between now and 2025. There can't be a surprise. You know, anything we haven't started won't happen. Uh, and I would say even 25 to 2030, I have a pretty good picture. Let's say give or take uh, one or two years. Yeah, But not much surprises in that time frame. What's your time frame you are planning? So I think we look at 2050, but the reality is we have targets, uh, short-term targets, medium-term targets and long-term targets. We are looking for scope one, scope two, and scope three. So the, the emissions 
from our customers to be net zero by 2050. And that's the toughest bit because you need to change customer patterns and infrastructure for our own emissions from our own, own operations. I think what we see, and I see this as common, um, you now I used to run the aviation business, another hard to abate sector. I think what I see in terms of commonality is people want to go immediately with the perfect solution. And normally the perfect solution comes at a higher price, uh, higher technology risk, and perhaps, perhaps different uh, hurdles. And my view is that actually you've got to get started. And I know, by the way, it's difficult because it, you say, but, well, I make my investments based you know, on long-term plans. I can't switch, shift every few years. But just having a sense of, I would say, every 10 years, what are the technology breakthrough and then planning around those. For heavy-duty transport, medium and heavy-duty transport, I think, uh, you know, you're still seeing uh, biodiesel maybe in the short term, but then you're seeing electrical vehicles. You're also seeing, perhaps from our side, we see that uh, compressed hydrogen has less technical barriers at the short term, uh, whilst liquid hydrogen will take a little, little bit longer to come mainstream because of some of the technicalities around transporting liquid hydrogen. All this being said, my team is working on liquid hydrogen transport today, even if it's coming to the masses at a much later stage. So we are trying to make sure that we follow with products and supply chains. Where you do see the biggest challenges or problems in that whole process? I think for me, I always talk about scale. So how do you reach scale in a meaningful way and pace? So how do you get faster? Because the current trajectory is not fast enough. So we need to do more. And then the last piece, there is something around profitable business model for everybody. Because if you want companies to continue to invest for the future, they cannot have short-term business model where they are squeezed and they don't benefit from it. So there is an element of being able to have profitable business model that allow you to invest for the technologies of the future. And I think this would be my two or three things that are completely common across all the different sectors uh, that I've been working with. No, and I like that I read an article from you who really had that scale and speed topic on the top, and that's really of essence. And I would say nobody understands that better than the oil industry, what scale matters, because at the moment, I tell always people when they say, hey, why are you using so much carbon hydrates? It's because it's a, the most efficient way how to store and transport energy, and that's what human mankind have perfected since 120 years. And now we have to change passes, and we don't have time for 120 years to perfect the hydrogen world or the electrical right. world. Right. We have to do the so, same thing yeah. in 10 years. So that's where the speed comes in. No, so there is an element of being, uh, I guess, action biased, maybe a little bit, taking some measured risks. I remind my team that Holland Hydrogen One, we've gone ahead very bold, but we do need now to have some certainty around regulation to be able to make it a success with the two, three, and four, whatever, whatever is going to come later on. Um, I think the other thing I would say is the, the discussions you and I are having, and in general, collaborations within industry and sectors is incredibly important. So we need to come to the table and help with each other's, I, I say, barriers to then move faster. We can't wait. Yeah, and I have the feeling that is exactly where speed comes from. 
to talk early and not wait until you see the other party's failure then to adjust your business model and then go over years, come with the development cycles to a perfect yeah. solution. While talking, while collaborating, that is an issue where you can cut time out of the system and come closer to really perfect yeah. solutions. Yeah. I really like that at the moment. Any wishes from your side towards policymakers? Because for me, you know, that infrastructure has to go in sync with the societies we are in, with the policymakers. Absolutely. So I think the policy piece needs to come together and be quite specific. I think there are some best practices where, again, companies like us can bring best practices, not only from how different countries have done it in different regions, but also different products. If you're looking at solar or wind energy, they did have to have certainty around pricing mechanism for a good 10 to 15 years before becoming cost competitive. In the commercial road transport business, I would think that you would be looking, and rightly so, for hydrogen refueling becoming competitive with diesel at some point and trying to make that uh, happen quickly. So having policymakers at the table, helping with certainty of directions, as well as in some cases, direct incentives, and almost forcing at the beginning the switch to create that critical mass that we were discussing. And then company like us, we, you were mentioning the work we are doing, I think it's Rotterdam, Cologne and Hamburg, where we are trying to build that lane of infrastructure I think that in itself is scale, because there is nothing like that so far. And then maybe other countries would do the same. And then from that piece of network, you can expand. And you see that certainly, I mean, Daimler Tag is a global uh, company, Shell is a global company. You see that as a global movement. Who would you see in the hydrogen game has at the moment the head start? Japan, Australia, US, Europe. What do you see in the world? I do think Europe is advanced in terms of how the thinking is around the regulatory environment. We've seen it also in other areas. In Canada and the United States, uh, specifically California is well advanced. And actually, it's not by chance that we've got a refueling stations currently in Europe and in California, because there is an environment that is actually allowing us to build on that. I think where you start seeing big, going back to the scale thing, big scale is actually when you're shifting your demand in the East, because I always say when the East moves, that's where the numbers go up crazy. Uh, we do see opportunity, for example, for mega hubs of hydrogen or ammonia as a vector for hydrogen, uh, maybe coming from the Middle Eastern countries or Australia, uh, where you have access to large amounts of renewable power. Uh, but you also see countries like China, where you're moving very fast also towards net zero by 2060. Mm. Yeah, and I would say, and that is what all our job is, to make it available, improve continuously, like you said, Scale and speed, that's a job. Great to work together with you. Great talking with you. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Martin. And with that, I would also like to thank everyone out there for listening. That's for today. Until then, take care and stay healthy. That was Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Truck. If you enjoyed what you've heard, share this episode and subscribe to Transportation Matters on your preferred podcast platform. You can do this by tapping the follow or subscribe button right next to the podcast title. 